Hi, it's Jason Valentin here. My dad, Chris Valentin, and I have dedicated our lives to helping people discover their royal identity in Christ, and we greatly desire to help you develop in your God-given capacity for brilliance. That's why I wanted to stop by and encourage you to check out my dad's newest book, Spiritual Intelligence. It will help develop you in the art of thinking like God and gain heaven's perspective for life's complex challenges. Before we get started with today's message, I want to let you know that if you pre-order his new book, Spiritual Intelligence, by October 19th of this year, you will get free registration into the Spiritual Intelligence Digital Summit. In this three-day summit, you'll receive never-before-taught video teachings and a digital guidebook that will help you practically break down how to begin walking in SQ. If you're listening to the podcast the day it releases, you have five days to take advantage of this offer. Registration closes on October 19th, 2020. You can pre-order Spiritual Intelligence today at www.thesqbook.com. Check it out, and I hope you enjoy this message today. Well, um, it's good to see you. And uh, we are in a a wild season, and I, I think we were, we were born for this. We were born for this season, you know, the very first month that we were, I think we were just a few days into this pandemic, at least that we knew of, and I woke up early in the morning, and the Lord said to me, you were born for this season, and I turned to Kathy, and she was, it was about 5.30 in the morning. I said, hey, she says, what? I said, the Lord said, I was born for this season, she said. Mr. Valentin, you were born for this season. And I said, I think it's supposed to be all of us. So there's exciting times that we're in. And I want to share, oh yeah, my message, there it is. There's, a, there's, there's the title of my message, Sunglasses. Yeah. And you're already like, he's from Weirville, he cannot spell. But I want to talk about sunglasses. I want to talk about core values and the way that we see the world. And uh, you know, we're in this time of this intense time, right? It's intense, isn't it? And you have to, you have to work to, you have to work for peace. I don't even know if that's even scriptural. <laughs> and we're streaming right now. Here we go, false prophet already, first line. <sighs> I mean, you have to, you have to really like focus, stay focused to stay in peace. And there's all these voices that are yelling and people running around. The sky's falling. The sky's falling. And and, um, and you, just, you just have to stay centered, don't you? So I want to talk a little bit about core values. And I've actually shared the parts of this message uh, several times before, actually. Um, but I really feel like the Lord's really in this message. So if you want to turn to Luke chapter 8, verse 18. This is the, the words of Jesus. So take care how you listen. So take care of how you listen. And I want to talk about how, how we listen. You know, all of us speak with an accent. You don't know you have one until you meet somebody that has a different one. I, uh, I didn't travel until I was actually, actually much until I was in my 40s, but until I was in my 30s. And I can remember the first time I went to Singapore and I met people from Singapore, and I asked them, the leaders, uh, I, we were there just for an hour, I came in and we went right to dinner, and I said, you know, I was just trying to understand the, the culture, because I've never really traveled, and I said, what, what's your first language? <laughs> and they said, English. I said, ooh, wow. I said, you guys have an accent. And they said, no, you have accent. <laughs> well, I guess we have an accent. And what I'm getting at is that we all actually have an accent, we speak with an accent, and you don't actually know you have one until you meet someone that has a different one. And then who do you think has the accent when you meet someone? <laughs> you, think, you think they have the accent. I remember going to England, and I'm like, oh, man, you guys have really ruined the English language. <laughs> By the way, sorry, I'm, don't be offended. It's a joke. Okay. <laughs> I said, thankfully, we, we've kept the English language pure. We... <laughs> We have an accent, we speak with an accent, but I wonder if we actually understand that we actually see with an accent. That you actually see the world through a lens. I wonder if you know that 
the way you see the world isn't necessarily the way everyone sees the world. And your accent, my accent, is a, it's a lens that I don't know I'm even looking through. Are, are you following me? It's like, it's, like, it's like having an accent, as I just shared, and you talk to someone else that speaks English, it's their first language, but they have an accent too. They, have, they, they, they say it differently. And you're like, they have an accent. It's like, no, no, you have an accent. And the point is, is that we see with an accent, and because we see the world this way, we actually think this is the only way to see the world. And when you meet someone that sees the world differently, who do you think's wrong? They are. See the world wrong, I feel wrong about that, probably don't know the Lord like, like I do. Jesus said in John 8, 32, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. The word truth there is not logos or rhema. The word truth is the word reality. You'll know reality and that will make you free. In other words, many people live in a virtual reality and it becomes a prison. And the only way you get out of that prison is when the Holy Spirit comes in and gives you reality. You'll know the truth, you'll know the reality, and that will free you. So many people in life, all of us at times, we, get, we have these glasses, Whoa, I'm gonna be an artist. They haven't let me on the worship team, so I'm going for the art team next. Yeah, that didn't go so well, oh well. And so many times we end up with scratches on our lens. We don't even know we have them. You know my story, I grew up in a house that was very abusive. My mother was amazing. I had two stepfathers who didn't like me. I'm not gonna tell that whole story again. But I got saved at 18. Kathy and I got saved at the same time. She was 15, I was 18. We were with these Jesus people, ex-hippies. We received the Lord right there in this youth group of about 100 kids inside this packed house. And the leader came and sat down with us after the meeting, sat on the floor, and he began to teach us or share with us about the kingdom. Very simply, like he told us we were born again and that we were little, like little children, we were forgiven, told us about the cross. It was just a three or four minute message really. And he said, he brought two men and he said, you're, you're, like, you're like little children. You're, you, you've come into the kingdom as a child. And, and he said, and you need a father. And he brought two young men to us that were maybe three or four years older than me. And he said, which one of these men do you want to be your father? And I just chose the better looking one. His name was Art Kipperman. And he became my first spiritual father. Now, you have to understand, like, I got saved out of a home that was incredibly abusive. If you use the word father in my life, it immediately created anxiety. Authority, I didn't trust authority because authority was used against me. I never, I never knew authority that empowered anyone. But over three years, and then later I met... I had another spiritual father. I, we buried Art uh, 15 years ago. I had another spiritual father. I still have him. His name's Bill Derryberry. Another very kind gentleman. Art was very kind. Bill Derryberry was very kind. And then I met Bill Johnson a year later. All kind men, all incredibly gracious, all the opposite personality of both my stepfathers. And they loved me. And they began, they began to clean the lenses my glasses. They began to teach me what a father was. I remember we, we were with the Johnsons for 17 years and we were, we were probably together, I don't know, four or five days a week. I've known Eric since, I think he's around three. We were in the birth room when Leah was born. I wasn't actually, <laughs> he sent Kathy in there. It was too messy. But I remember the, first several years that we were with the Johnsons that we would go over their house or they would come over our house and then at night we would lay awake often, a couple times at least a week and we would talk about what we learned from the Johnsons that day. How they taught us how to love our kids. Bill's kindness, I never knew a man so kind. 
Even when he would be mad at Brian or Eric, if they do something wrong, I, I would watch. We would talk about how he corrected them and how even in his correction, he affirmed their identity. How he never let their bad action be attached to their identity. I never knew anything like that. And we began to love fathers. And I began to get a desire to be a father. My reality was twisted and I was in a prison and I didn't know it. And the bars of that wall said fatherhood. And someone would preach about fatherhood or talk about fatherhood. I would just, honestly, anxiety would come in me. And I would think, you, you don't actually understand what fathers are. And the trouble was, I didn't understand what fathers were. You know, whatever you misdiagnose, you'll mistreat. Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter seven, verse starts in verse three, I'll just tell you it, share it with you. He said, you're trying to get a speck out of someone's eye, but you got a log in your own. I mean, you know, Jesus is not talking about logs or specks. He's talking about core values. Core values aren't just what you see, it's the way you see. It's the lenses in which you view life. It's so powerful, all these lenses. You know, unforgiveness, bitterness, hatred, racism, fear, all these things scratch our lenses. Yep. They scratch our lenses and we begin to interpret the world through a reality that isn't kingdom. I mean, fear right now is, I mean, you, you, you have to stay focused to stay out of fear. I had Eric pray for me this morning. I came here and feeling fine and had a bunch of anxiety 20 minutes before I got up to speak. Just out of nowhere, I'm like, what is going on? It's like we're traveling through this world of fear. And you know, prophetic people are kind of, they're the worst, right? They're the worst because prophetic people, they have HD, 3D TV with surround sound. So, I mean, we're, when we're in the Holy Ghost, man, we are the most encouraging people. But just give us one little drop of fear, and we're like, and the world's coming to an end. <laughs> I've always said to our prophetic people, our prophetic teams, if I listen to you prophesy for five minutes, it will tell me more about who you are than it does about the people you're prophesying to. Because you always minister out of your core values. I get sent all the time right now, prophetic words for America. I, I, you probably get them too. I get them because I'm one of the leaders of our prophetic movement. And so they're like, have you heard this word? It's like, the civil war's coming and Christians need to get armed and love your neighbor, but make sure you can kill him. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I got boogers. And, you know, and they send me these you know, half an hour, 40 minute words. Have you heard this word? And, and you know, what I do to be totally frank is I listen to the first five minutes of the word and I don't need to listen anymore because I know what the end's gonna be because I can tell how they see the world. When I was, uh, when I was in Weaverville, I took, uh, I took uh, pilot lessons. I wanted to be a pilot. By the way, I'll tell you the end of that story. I took pilot lessons for about six months, went to ground school, and went up five times. The first three times, I threw up every time. And the instructor said to me, oh, that's very common for new pilots. Don't worry about it. You'll get over it. And by the fifth time, he goes, lots of people don't get over it. <laughs> so I got grounded for good. But there's a, there is a dynamic called spatial disorientation that causes most pilots to crash. Like almost all small planes crash for this spatial, because of this spatial disorientation. And what it is, it's what happens when a pilot gets into a, uh, they, they get into a storm or they get in a cloud and they can't see ahead. And it's this sensation that's so common to pilots they feel like they're climbing and they're upside down. And so what they do, of course, is because they feel like they're upside down and climbing, they actually turn the plane around and think they're going level, but what's actually happened is they actually have now turned the plane upside down and what they think is level is actually, they're actually diving into the earth. 
And that's how most pilots in small planes die. And so they, they tell us, they teach us about gauges. And they tell us, watch your gauges. And one of the things they taught us, which was so powerful, and by the way, I went for six months, and there's a little refresher almost every, in every session, even if you're learning about other things, where they tell you, trust your gauges. And they just, they just beat it in your head, like, trust your gauges. And what I learned is that in aviation, there are two, there are duplicates, there are two of every important gauge on your dash. So you may not have lots of, you know, lots of planes don't have lots of, don't have a lot of instruments, but you'll have like, You'll have like two altimeters, which telling you if you're climbing or diving. You'll have like two yaw gauges, which tell you if you're left or right or if you're going forward or backward. There's two of them. And the reason there's two is because if you are feeling like you're upside down and climbing and you look over at one gauge and it shows your level and right side up, the feeling's so strong, you're like, well, there's probably something wrong with the gauge. But if you look at the other gauge that's a duplicate and it's also right side up and flat, they say that's two witnesses and two witnesses are better than your feelings. And they teach you, trust your instruments. Like they beat it in your head. Do not trust your feelings in a storm. I'd like to suggest that those gauges are proactive core values built in our life for storms, and that we need them more than ever right now. We need these proactive gauges. In Mark chapter four, verse 24, Jesus made another statement. He said, take care what you listen to. Listen to this, this is profound. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you and more will be given to you besides. Okay, follow me, what's, what, what is the, what's the subject? Listen. And now it's not how, but it's what, right? What you listen to. Be careful what you listen to. And look at the next sentence. Be careful what you listen to. Okay, that's great. By your standard, it will be measured to you and more will be given to you besides. Think about this. Your brain has a filter. It's known as a, uh, as a thalamus. I think, it's, I think that's the right way to pr pronounce it. Your brain has a filter known as a thalamus. That part of the brain determines what you listen to, what you believe to be true, what you value, and the experience you welcome or reject. This is your reality filter. You pay attention only to a small portion of the information that's presented to you, and you throw away most of it. This process is known as selective filtering, and we do it all the time. So think about it. You have hundreds of pieces of information coming to you all the time. You don't even, you, 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 don't, you don't count them, you don't know that, but what's happening is, is that you're not processing hundreds of pieces of information because your thalamus is your, if you will, it's your brain filter, and it goes, no, all of these things aren't true, so we won't be thinking about that. Are you following me? So what happens is, in fact, have you, how many of you have teenagers and you go, my teenagers have selective hearing, <laughs> but so do you. So we tend to see what we're prepared to see. Did you get me? You tend to see what you're prepared to see and you don't see things the way they are, you see things the way you are. Back to my example, my father glasses before I knew Jesus. When I'd see a father, I wouldn't see them the way they were. I would see them the way I was. This was really a powerful example when I was uh, in Pennsylvania one year at Charles Stock's conference. Lance Wall and I was speaking. He's just brilliant. And he was doing a similar, he was speaking on a similar subject. And there was a barrel of flags, you know, like flags you could wave for worship. And there were different colors. And there were several of the same color, like there'd be five red flags and 10 green flags. And so there was a whole barrel of flags. And he brought the barrel up and he said, okay, I want you to all count the gold flags. So he took the barrel and he spun it really slowly. There's about 1,100 people in the conference and we counted the gold flags. He goes, everybody close your eyes. So he closed their eyes and he said, how many red flags are there? 
Nobody knew because you told us to count gold flags. And his point was, you tend to see what you're prepared to see. You don't see the world the way it is. You see the world the way you think it is. There's a powerful analogy in the internet. The internet tracks your activity and records it for life. It records it for life, by the way. I tell our students, like, if you ever want to go into politics, like, don't get on social media and post anything dumb because it will follow you. It's not like the book of life. <laughs> it's like the book. And the internet programs, the internet programs analyze your statistical data to determine people's interests, desires, and passions. They use this information to target market you. So, you know, um, it's like Jason, he loves fishing. He posts fishing pictures. He, Post them on Instagram, he buys fishing stuff off of Amazon. Well, what's happening, all of that activity is actually being recorded for life on the internet. And what's happening is, is that, so by his measure, remember, be careful what you listen to. By your measure, it will be measured to you. So his measure is, I love fishing, I listen to fishing stuff. So guess what? He gets other people that love fishing sent back to him. And then it says, and more besides. He gets stuff that comes up that he didn't ask for. You know what kind of advertisements come up on your Facebook page, your Instagram page, and get emailed to you? If you love fishing, fishing stuff. <laughs> you got more than you asked for. <laughs> now how about if you look at porn? What happens if you look at porn? You get on a porn site, you look at porn site, and you're like, oh, you know, all of a sudden, you, that's your measure, by your measure, be careful what you listen to, because by your measure, it's gonna be measured back to you. Other people who love porn will be measuring back to you, be interacting with people, and you'll be getting porn stuff on your emails, your Facebook, your Instagrams, invitations to things you shouldn't be doing. Why? Because you listened wrong, and the algorithms gave you your desires. I'd like to suggest that the spirit world is just like that. If you're offended with Bill in this church of 10,000, you'll find the five people who are offended with Bill. And the challenge is you go see Bill and you're like, and I'm offended and everybody I know is offended. That's right, because you attracted the people who think like you. See, the other part of the internet that's crazy and really dangerous is that the algorithm ecosystems on the internet is also reinforcing my worldview, not God's. So it's not feeding me what I need to see or hear, it's feeding me my appetite for my reality. And not, I'm not seeing a balanced approach to life or both sides of the subject, I'm only being presented with, with what I already agree with and it convinces me I'm right. So I'm being isolated because I'm being, I'm being mentored, I'm being discipled by a machine. If you love President Trump, guess what? Guess what's gonna be in your feed? Fox News, everything that everybody who loves, if you are voting for Mr. Biden, guess what's gonna be in your feed? And what's the challenge is, is that you don't have a balanced approach to anything because what you believe is being reinforced. You never see the other side of anything because you're being discipled by a machine that is, that is actually giving you not what you need to hear, but what you wanna hear. And it isolates us, and what we end up doing is we get so convinced we're right that we begin to demonize the people that we don't understand. And we don't understand them because we've never heard their side. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, John 16, 13, and when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth and he will speak not on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he'll speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. Our reality must be shaped by the Holy Spirit or we are literally living a lie. Let me say that one more time. Our reality must be shaped by the Holy Spirit or we're literally living a lie because truth overrides the facts. Truth 
overrides the facts. You're like, what does that mean? Well, let's say your doctor says you're, you're terminally ill. That's the facts. You pay the doctor to know that. I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want the doctor to do tests on me and know I'm gonna, I've got six months to live and come in to the office and say, you're all good. No, I pay him to tell me the facts. I want to know what the facts are. But how many you know, I don't ask my doctor for the truth. The Holy Spirit tells me the truth. I'm saying, if, you only, if, you're, if you're being discipled by the media, you may know the facts, and your facts might even be accurate. But I'd propose, those are the facts, that's not the truth. It's the, not the facts that make you free, it's the truth that set you free. The Apostle Paul said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You know, we're the only creature that has access at this time to SQ, to spiritual intelligence. You have IQ, you have EQ, emotional intelligence, but we have an opportunity to actually renew our minds with spiritual intelligence. We, have, we can add truth to our life that transcends the facts. Um, I wanna talk a little bit about proactively developing our core values. Proactively developing, like, you know, if you don't proactively develop, develop your core values, then how many know they're being developed for you? And like my stepfathers are actually teaching me core values that aren't true. But when we take time to actually meditate, and I've taught this whole thing on meditation, uh, Joshua chapter one, verse eight, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do all that's written in it. You will make your way prosperous and you will have success. Meditation, it's the word, it's the Hebrew word growl. Meditation is where I take the word of God and I literally bulldoze new neural pathways in my mind so that I begin to think like God. I proactively take verses like all things work together for good, Romans 8.28, for those who love God are called according to his purposes. And so when I get in the middle of a pandemic and it feels like I'm upside down and crashing, I go, what do the gauges say? The gauges say, all things work together for good. And this is the thing, and it's an all, and I love God. Therefore, my gauges say, you're, you're running flat. Everything's good. Are you with me? I take verses like, good ones. <laughs> Romans 8, 37. But in all these things, we are overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. And we realize that we're a conqueror. First Peter chapter two, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy people, a people for God's own possessions, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who took you out of darkness and transferred you to his beloved, dark, into his marvelous light. In Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, not plans for calamity, but plans to give you a future and a hope. First John chapter four, verse 18, there's no fear and love and perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and he who fears is not perfected in love and I began to say here's my gauges I got two witnesses on every one of them yeah. when I'm feeling upside down and I'm going to crash I go what do the gauges say but I feel I understand feelings are important <laughs> how many you know feelings are great servants but they're terrible masters we're in this middle of the storm. You, you can feel it, right? And, it's in, and you feel like, how long is COVID gonna last? What if it lasts for five years? And suddenly, even the prophets don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who's holding tomorrow. I have to remind myself, who's flying the plane? Core values determine the way we see God. The events we attribute to God. You're driving home and you get a flat tire. Oh, let's do, it. let's do a better one. You're driving to church and you're gonna be the speaker and you got a flat tire. Okay, you got three sources. Third heaven, God did this. Second heaven, the devil did it. First heaven, 
stupid me, I should have bought new tires. <laughs> Who you attribute that to tells a whole bunch about you. I can tell you, like, my core values have changed through the years on the way I view God and the devil. Yeah. I can remember having a very similar circumstance that I just described. Flat tire, going to preach. I'm like, ha, the devil's resisting me. And pretty soon I realized over years, like, you were making the devil really big. He's very powerful. Like, he can flatten your tires. He can keep you. Like, if God is for me, who can be against me? But then he flattened my tire. <laughs> And I'm, I'm trying to say, like, when I say things like that, what does it say? It says my lens is, I got a really big devil, and I have a God who can't provide for me. We used to use this phrase all the time. I taught this phrase. Greater levels? Greater. Come on, help me. Come on, confess your sins with me. Let's do it together. We're all live streaming. Greater levels? Greater devils. What did that say? That says... If when, I, when I'm promoted, when God promotes me, he can't protect me. Why don't I say greater levels, greater angels? I mean, who's the most protected person in our country? It's our president. He's the most protected. Can you imagine God's like, I'm going to take you up there and leave you alone. Well, I'll be dumb. But you know what that said? Greater levels, greater devils. It said, you know what? If you're really doing something for God, you're going to be tormented. And you know what happened? It invited torment in because I gave, I believed, and I received. And leaders were constantly tormented, and they would validate their torment because it became a badge of honor. I'm being tormented because I'm doing something for God. Really? I'm being protected because I'm doing it. I believe in warfare, but I just don't want them in my house. Core values, I, 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 this, is, this is the word I made up, not by our sponsors. Core values are also our apostolic distinction, distinctions. They're the lens that God has given us to see the world in. What I mean by that is this. About, if you're a Christian, 90% of what you believe should be common with other Christians. I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I believe he died on the cross. He rose on the third day. I believe that everyone needs to be saved. Da, da, da. But there's these apostolic distinctions that actually give us our family DNA. And, and I love to illustrate it, that John the Baptist and Jesus, they ministered at the same time, and of course they were cousins. But they were very different in their ministry and their styles. John, you remember, John couldn't drink wine. He was a Nazarite. And he ate locusts, and he wore camel's hair. Now, if you eat locusts and you wear camel's hair, you're not invited to speak in the synagogue, even though your dad is a Pharisee. John's dad was a Pharisee. And Jesus isn't just drinking wine, he's making wine and going to parties to the place that he got a reputation. And John's disciples fasted all the time. And Jesus' disciples partied all the time. So you remember this conflict, like John's disciples and Jesus' disciples, they would, enter, they, would, they would have conversations, and finally John's disciples got upset with Jesus one day, and they said, hey, how come we're always fasting, and you guys are always feasting? And Jesus said, well, they've come to a wedding, and you're at a funeral. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but two of John's disciples switched teams. <laughs> Andrew and Peter, they're like, I'm going to the, I like the wine people. John, John preached repentance. Now, let's be clear. Jesus preached repentance too. But typically, Jesus' typical message was much, he was more like Joel Osteen. <laughs> that won't go well, I'm sure. I mean, he was like, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You know, hey, these Romans are making us carry their stuff for a mile. Jesus go, go too. Someone's, someone stole my coat. Give them your shirt. This guy hit me on the right cheek. Give him your left. I mean, this is like, I'm not listening to Jesus. I'm going over here with John. John's mad at everybody. <laughs> they had very different styles to the place where Jesus described it like this. John's singing the dirge, the funeral song, and I'm playing the flute. I'm doing the wedding song. That's how Jesus described their ministries were polar opposites. But how many know they were both in the kingdom? And by the way, did you notice John's disciples never did a miracle? 
They were walking with Jesus and never did a miracle. Jesus' disciples were commanded to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. John's disciples weren't healing anybody. They weren't casting out demons. They, as far as we know, John never did a miracle. Then one day, Jesus, before he starts his ministry, he comes to John and he says to John, I need, to, I need you to baptize me. Now remember, John's baptism is actually a baptism of repentance, meaning you'd have to have sin. John goes, I'm gonna baptize you. I don't even think I'm worthy to untie your shoes. Jesus is like, you're not. But baptize me anyway. Jesus gets baptized into John's ministry. I hope you're getting this. And when he comes up out of the water, a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son who I'm well pleased. As far as we know, the first time the father's ever publicly acknowledged that this is his son. And he comes out of the water and begins his miracle ministry. You know when it happened? When he acknowledged the call on another man's life that was different than his. Are you with me? It's the core distinctions. It's like you have a way of looking at the kingdom. You are supposed to look at the kingdom that way. Don't drink wine. Fast. Preach in the wilderness. Well, those guys won't even go to a wedding. So stuck up. Just mad at everybody. And John's disciples are like, all we do is fast all the time. It's like we are spiritual. And those guys drinking wine, going to parties, wine bibbers. And Jesus is like, it's all in the kingdom. It's all in the kingdom. John has a way of viewing the kingdom because it's a call on his life. He's staying in his lane. Jesus has a way of viewing the kingdom. Obviously, Jesus is God. So we're just reducing right now Jesus in his earthly ministry. He has a way of looking at the kingdom. It's his call on life. His disciples followed his way. John's disciples followed their way. They were both right, but very different. I want to talk for a few minutes about our apostolic distinctions from my perspective. Years ago, you know, I told you that we grew up in Bill's house, basically. And then Bill left after 17 years in Weirville, and we were separated for a couple years. We saw Bill once in a while. But Bill was going to Colorado. Uh, my kids, my daughter and son-in-law got married and the next week moved to Colorado to lead a YWAM base. And so they were there and they invited Bill to come and speak about two years later. So Bill said, why don't you come with me? We haven't seen each other much. It'd be awesome for you to come minister to me, see your kids. So I did. We went for five days. We were in this cabin for five days. And uh, I, gotta, I gotta tell you about this cabin. So this cabin... This is the cabin. The cabin is a bathroom. This is the bathroom. This is Bill's bed. This is my bed. In order for me to get to the bathroom, that's me. <laughs> Gotta go to the bathroom. I mean, that's the whole room, by the way. There's three feet of snow on the ground. It's Colorado. This is why I'm youth with no money. And, <laughs> and we haven't seen much of Bill. And so I'm five days in a cabin with Bill. And I have to walk past his bed in the morning, in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. And when I walk past his bed, little twin bed, he's laying on his back and he's saying, in, while he's asleep, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, you're amazing. Jesus, I want to serve you the rest of my life. Five days of that. I don't even do that when I'm awake. <laughs> he has like really trained his thalamus. Literally like walking past his bed for five days. By the fifth day, I was completely wrecked. We leave there. We have a great time. We leave there. We, we fly to San Francisco. We're waiting for the little plane. We're in business in Weirville, you know. We have 42 employees and three, four businesses and three locations. And I'm sitting with Bill at the table. If you know Bill, he's very quiet. He, he's, he's, it's, it's untypical for Bill to begin a conversation. And we're sitting at the table and I'm so wrecked. I don't even want to say anything. And he, he leans over quietly and he said, I want you to come to Reading and, and start the school ministry. Start a school ministry. And I, I had come a f uh, sometimes and taught on the weekends and stuff. So I'm like, well, how many days a week do you want to do that? 
He's like, oh, no, no. I mean, I want you to leave your business and come follow me. And inside, you know, you know inside, like, the, I'm so wrecked. The Holy Spirit's like, inside of me, like, I'm like, whoa, yeah! And this other side, like, uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh-oh, you're married. Uh-oh. And I'm trying to, have you ever just, you're in that spot and you're just trying to hold it all together? And I'm like, oh, we'll be praying about that. <laughs> So we get, to, we get to ready and I have to drive an hour to home and I'm just weeping the whole way home. I am so wrecked. And I open the front door and of course, it's, again, it's snowing. And my wife, of course, she hasn't seen the kids for six months, so she's, she wants a kid report. And I walk in the door and she gives me like, honey, how was it? Yeah, the kids are good. I'm in love with a man. She's like, what's going on? I'm in love with a man. I think she thinks it's Jesus, but I'm like, it's Bill. <laughs> She's like, sit down here, honey. Sit down here, take your medication. <laughs> Joking about the medication part. And I mean, I just, sitting there, and just in a puddle. I'm like, I was with Bill for five days. Like I was, I said this, I was born to be with him. I know my destiny is in him. In Jesus, in him. I know I'm supposed to be with him. And so she's listening, and you know, she's, I've been with her since she was 12. And she said, baby, the only thing I ask, I'm good with that. The only thing I ask is that the Lord would speak to you the same way he spoke to me. Seems very fair. That seems like two gauges. We prayed. She went to Morning Star Ministry. She was already going two weeks Later, on the 14th day, the day she was supposed to come home, the Lord audibly spoke to her and said, you're leaving the mountains and you're going to Bethel. And that story's been told and we were here. I was so excited to be here. The school just exploded. Started out with 37 students. The next year it doubled. The next year it almost doubled again. And, but Bill and I weren't getting along. It's just totally me. It was just my complete arrogance. Like, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the greatest regret I have in my life. Dishonoring Bill, not, not, not understanding how to have a leader in my life. I'd been in business 20 years. And it was tough. It was really tough for Bill, I'm sure. He couldn't do anything to please me. It was just, I was just unpleasable. And so in the third year, there was a church in Eureka that was looking for a pastor. I'd ministered there many times and I knew that they were gonna ask me to be their pastor. So I went to see Bill and I said, hey, I'm gonna, thinking about taking this church in Eureka. And I was expecting him to say, well, that's, that sounds like a good plan, you know. Instead he said, why would you wanna leave? I'm like, well, you know, da, da, da. And he's like, oh. I don't want you to leave, but if you want to leave, I will bless you. A few nights later, I had a dream. And in the dream, I saw the church. By the way, my kids pastor that church now. 10 years later, they became the pastors of that church. I saw the church and it was packed. It was like, it holds like 700 people. And it had like 3,000 people. There were thousands of people, a couple thousand people sitting outside. They had the windows open in the dream. They had speakers in the windows. And I was preaching. And in the dream, the Lord said, in the dream, and that's what will happen if you take that church. And I can still remember the feeling of being excited. And then the dream changed. And it was like me looking at the earth through, a through the Hubble telescope. And the Lord said, but you'll never touch that. And then he said to me, only you and I will know you failed. It'll be our secret. And I was, I was weeping and Kathy woke up and I told her the dream. She said, I've been telling you that for years. I knelt by my bed and I prayed and I'm like, God, what should I do? And the Lord said very clearly to me, I want you to make a covenant with Bill to stay with him the rest of your life. I'm like, have the three of you talked about this? Is there anybody else up there? I said, I want you to make a covenant with Bill to serve him the rest of your life. Three months passed every day. Like, I just couldn't do it. And finally, we were going to uh, do, I, you know, we, we hadn't actually talked for three months. I mean, in a meeting like this, to say hello, we were cordial. 
but we had had no conversation. We were going to this conference, men's uh, conference together, and he was driving. It was nighttime. I was leaning in the corner. And I was just weeping quietly. It's a five-hour drive. We didn't speak at all. A half an hour before the conference, I turned to him and I said, the Lord talked to me and told me I was supposed to make a covenant with you and serve you the rest of my life. And he's like, okay, thank you. <laughs> and about five days, I, you know, about a month later, he turned, we were in a car again. He said, hey, you know that thing you did to me? I said, yeah, he's, I, I'm with you. I'm doing that too. And the Lord said to me, that same night I had the dream. He said, if you will make a covenant with Bill, I will show the world what I can do with an apostle and a prophet who make a covenant of love, not because they agree, but because they love one another. And I will create a movement that will change the world if you will humble yourself. It took me a few months to get there, but I feel like this became a core distinction that we were gathered because we agreed, we gathered because we love one another. It became it became one of our core distinctions that we weren't just drawing Republicans or Democrats. We weren't just drawing white people or just black people or just Asian people. Like literally people were coming because they had the Bethel heart, the kingdom heart. And they're like, I don't agree with your politics, but I love what I'm hearing here. And people to this day, it's totally confusing for people because denominationalism, denominationalism and denominationalism, you gather when you agree and you divide when you disagree. But in apostleships, you're, 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 the core bonding point is not agreement. It's, it's covenant, it's love. And now we have people posting, you know, we got Benny posting about Trump and we got people posting about, you know, BLN and race, race, uh, racism. We got people on both sides of the aisle and people are like, what do you believe in? We're like, Jesus. <laughs> and we are taking the kingdom and put it in people who have a very different worldview, but actually have the same kingdom view. Last week, Kathy had a very, she had a dream and she was, she started screaming in bed. And I'm like, baby, are you okay? She's wake up screaming. And I said, are you okay? And she said, oh, I just had this dream that you fell off a ladder. Fell off a ladder. She went right back to sleep. <laughs> I laid there and the Lord said, you're climbing a ladder. You need to get off of it. You need to humble yourself. I did. I, I, I cleaned up a couple messes right away that the Lord spoke to me about. And then she had a dream the next night. And the next night, she had a dream that we were back in our house in Weaverville where we met Bill. Actually, we actually knew Bill before this, but in our old house. And we were remodeling it and we were trying to make sure the curtains, she said, it's very important that the curtains were balanced. She said, then I went outside and I, I was digging and I found this huge ball, the size of this room. It was green underneath the earth. And I said, oh, I went to bed that night and the Lord said, you're gonna go back and restore the foundations of your core values that you started with. And when you do that, you're gonna have a balanced approach to the way you see life. And you're gonna find mysteries that have been hidden from generations. I believe it's time for us to bond. Jesus talked about seasons and times. He talked about how we, Bethel, how Christians, we should love our enemies. You know, how many know, I'm almost done. How many know the law says, you must carry my burdens for a mile, but love says, I'll carry them for two. The law says, love your neighbor, but love says, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. The law says, I have rights, but love says, I have a responsibility. The law says, stand up for yourself, but love says, lay down your life for others. The law says an eye for an eye, but love says, forgive those who hurt you. And I'd like to propose that love requires more than law. It's funny to me that we have these core values of loving one another, but we get underneath the spirit of the age and we start accusing people, hating people. We get on the internet and say terrible things on social media. We 
We were told to, to pray for our governors and our presidents and our leaders. And we accuse and, you know, I understand you don't have to agree with someone to love them. But you do have to honor people who serve you. And I really believe that God's calling us back to honor, to humility, not judging people, being gracious to people who don't deserve it. You know, the Romans would require the Jews to carry their bags for a mile. There was a law that they could just get anyone, any civilian, and, and they're like, Jesus, the Romans are making us carry their bags for a mile. Jesus said, go to. This guy sued me, took my coat. Give him your shirt. This is Jesus. And for some reason, it feels like we're flying by our feelings instead of our gauges. Feels like we left behind our core values to enter the political fight. And I'd like to propose that the machines are teaching us how to behave. They don't know anything about EQ or SQ. I think it's really important, no matter your political persuasions, you don't have to lessen your, your political persuasions to keep the kingdom at the center of all your attitudes and actions. And I love this house because we, we have become a house where people can think for themselves and still be a part of the family. And if you think differently, you're not out because you didn't think your way in. I hope you enjoyed that message. You know, this podcast exists to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and develop you in the art of thinking like God. So just a quick reminder that one of the best ways to do that is to check out Chris Vallotton's new book release, Spiritual Intelligence. It comes out soon. However, if you pre-order now, you'll get access to a three-day spiritual intelligence digital summit before the book releases. If you're listening to this podcast the day it releases, you have five days to take advantage of this offer. Registration for the summit will close on October 19th, 2020. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have a blessed day.